0: We've reached week two of Advent. Advent is the season of preparing um, for the arrival of Jesus Christ. We're waiting for the arrival of Christ's birth, and so um, as, we, as we continue through this process, um, we're supposed to be getting more ready for the arrival of Christ. Uh, and That doesn't mean getting more of your Christmas shopping done. It means getting ready to celebrate the arrival of the one who changed all of human history. The arrival of Christ was a big Deal While I preach these three Sundays that I'll preach over Advent, uh, we're talking about the gift exchange, exchanging uh, one gift for something else. And so last week we talked about exchanging our, our anxieties and our stresses for peace, right? And then this week we're talking about exchanging our, our sorrows and our griefs for joy. And that's a difficult thing to do, right? Just like letting go of anxiety and stress and just being stress-free is a tough, uh, to borderline impossible thing to do. Um, we We have to approach God and ask God to take that for us. Just letting go of sorrow and being filled with joy seems to be absolutely impossible. This time of year is one of the toughest times of the year for those of us who are grieving. Christmas brings together family, and we see our extended family and the people that we love so dearly, and we recognize more clearly their absence when we're gathered together as family. And in those moments, the most joyous of holidays becomes the most grievous of holidays. It is a very difficult thing. If you're dealing with grief this year, if this is your first year, or maybe it just feels like your first year, to be walking the path of grief before you as you look at these holidays and you you find yourself overwhelmed with sorrow, I want you to know God is near to you today, even as you grieve. Even as you hurt, even as you struggle, He's near to you today. And He desires you to live a life with joy, even knowing that it's different than the joy of someone who, who has no sorrow behind them. We're going to be reading today in Psalm chapter 30. Uh, Psalm technically doesn't have chapters, so it's just Psalm 30. It's the 30th Psalm. If you have your Bibles, open up Psalms, uh, and we'll look um, at Psalm 30 together. Psalm 30 was written by David for the occasion of the dedication of the temple. Now, if you know the story of the temple, the temple um, was to be built in Jerusalem, and David had a strong desire to build God's temple. It was probably his overarching, number one life dream was to build the temple. And God told David, "No, you will not build the temple. You won't get to do it because David was a man of war, and God didn't want David to build the temple." And so He said, "You're not going to build the temple, um, but your son will build the temple." Solomon ultimately builds the temple, and David pens Psalm 30. As a prayer, a psalm, a song to be sung at the dedication of the temple that he will never see built. That is faith, by the way, right? Stretching out in faith and saying, I'm never going to experience this. God has made it abundantly clear that I am not going to watch this event happen, but I am so looking forward to it and I am so certain that it's going to happen that I'm going to write this down today. I remember when I was dating my wife, Uh, We'd been dating for, I don't know, maybe a year, Uh, and I love baseball, and my wife tolerates baseball, okay? It was a wonderful match made in heaven sort of relationship that we had there. Really what made the relationship really work early on, though, was I loved baseball, and my wife's family had season tickets to the Astros, and so, I mean, it really was great. But we would go watch Astros games, and we probably went to two games a week when they were in town. I saw a ton of Astros games uh, in the early 2000s, late 1990s. Uh, when the Dome was closed and Minute Park and Ron Field was opened up, I saw, I don't know how many games I've seen out there, but a ton that I didn't have to pay for, which is the best type of baseball games, by the way. But I would go, and I would notice my wife was not engaged with the game. We would talk, and we would enjoy sharing time together, and she was a good sport about uh, being there with me, but she, she didn't really uh, love the game the way I did. And so I went to Academy, and I bought her a scorebook for baseball, okay, and and that's a good way, if you know how to keep score in baseball, she didn't know, so I had to teach her how to keep score, Um, but it keeps you engaged with the game, right, because she's constantly asking me, oh, was that a, uh, where did that ball get hit exactly, and so we're talking through the different positions and numbers, and some of you are like, I don't understand what this guy's talking about, regardless, uh, I got her to start keeping score for the Astros game, but in faith, I wrote an inscription on the inside of this Academy you know, $5 scorebook. And I said, this is for all the baseball games that we're going to see together and for all the baseball games our kids are going to play. I was 17 years old. <laughs> 17 years old. We still have that scorebook, by the way. I look at that and I say, oh my goodness, how, how much faith does it take at 17 to look at your 17-year-old girlfriend and say, one day. You're going to bust this out when our kids are playing baseball, and we do. We have games of of Seth and Julian both. their baseball games being scored in that scorebook, right? But by faith, I said, this is what's going to happen. And my wife, for some reason, agreed that that should indeed happen for me. David knew he was never going to see the temple. He knew this was an event that he was never going to witness, but he was so confident that God was going to make it happen that he wrote Psalm 30 and, and, and said, when this thing is built which it for certain will be done, you will sing this song. And this is what Psalm 30 says. We're going to read a little bit and we'll talk a little bit as we go. Verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. David is writing this this song that's going to be sung at the dedication of the temple, and he starts out by by recognizing what God has done. If you're here today and you're dealing with sorrow, I want you to start with the same sort of way we started to deal with anxiety. We have to first recognize the faithfulness of God. but to recognize that God, while, while we may experience loss and sorrow on this side, didn't fail us for the totality of our life. And so David does that. He recognizes where he's been. If you know the story of David, David had a lot of people who wanted to kill him. He had people inside his family who wanted to kill him. He had good friends of his whose parents wanted to kill him. He was a marked man from being a very young man from the day he killed Goliath until the day that David took the kingdom. And then after that, even David was a marked man Oftentimes on the run for his life, hiding in caves, fleeing um, from, from enemies and adversaries, constantly dogged and on the run. That is no way to live your life, right? Constantly scared that any you walk out in the open, you might be stabbed or shot with an arrow. This was David's life for large parts of his life. And he recognized that he was constantly in danger and constantly in trouble and constantly had the threat of death on his life. But even through all of those situations, God had preserved him. Right? Even through all of those tough times, God had had kept him. He, he was near the grave. Sheol is the, is the name for the grave. He, he was near going down into the grave itself, yet God rescued him from that. There's countless times, if you read the story of David, that you see That he was this close to death, yet God preserved him for life. God is in the business of preserving his saints. He gives us second, third, fourth chances as we learn from the book of Jonah. He cares for his people and he cares for you. If you're here today and you're carrying grief and sorrow and in the midst of that we ask questions like, God, why would you do this to me? Right? and That's not a selfish question. right? Some people will say it is, but it's not a selfish question to ask God. Why are these things happening to me? Why am I experiencing grief and loss and sorrow? Why is my pain so real? God, why is this happening to me? It's a fine question to ask, but it's also fine for you to recognize that God has been good to you, too. Right, It's not all rainy days in your life. There are days of great joy. And there are days when you can see, as you look back, the providential hand of God guiding you through things. Recognize what God has done and then speak about those things. This is the first sort of like weapon we have about that, right? Uh, David says, I will sing, right? Let me read it. It says, sing praises to the Lord, O you saints. That's verse 4. And give thanks to his holy name, singing is an outward expression. Some of you don't understand that on Sunday morning and you sing inwardly, right? If we, I'm not on stage during the singing time, but I imagine some of you are very good inward singers. Y'all do it like this. That's not really singing, okay? I'm not, I, I understand some of you probably don't need to sing loud because there's other people around, right? That's, but, but the idea here is, right, 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 when you sing, it's something that other people can possibly here. And David is, is saying, look, when you've been through tough times, when you've experienced loss, when you've experienced running from enemies, when you've experienced grief and sorrow, David had grief and sorrow. David um, lost the love of his first wife, right? She was given to another man. David lost um, one of his, his children, died at childbirth. David experienced great grief. I mean, grief that, 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 that just craters people he's experienced. Lost as his best friend, his compatriot in Jonathan. His mentor in a lot of ways, Saul, he lost. Absalom was killed, his own son, as as a young man. David experienced great grief and in the midst of all that, he still commands us to sing praises to God. Part of that is is a trick for ourselves, right, to remind ourselves that God is still good and while we can think it, That God's still good when we say the good thing that God has done, right? It becomes a little bit more real to us. This isn't a word of faith, name it, claim it sort of nonsense that you may see on TV. It's just the truth of how the mind works. If we can talk about the good thing that God has done, it's going to sink into us a little bit more. right? If you're always complaining about something, if you're always verbally complaining about nonsense, you're going to be a pretty negative person. Right? You just can't help it because you're, you're, that's how you're talking. Right? But if you find reasons to be thankful and praising God, all of a sudden your outlook on life becomes more optimistic. It's not magic, it's how God made us to be. So if you're here today and you're experiencing grief today and you're experiencing sorrow today, and you say, boy, I would love to experience joy this Christmas season, guys, I want to start by saying, speak about the good things that God has done. Don't just remember them in your mind. Speak about them. Let those be the things that come out of your mouth. Let the words of God's faithfulness, the words of God's love, the words of God's grace come out of your mouth. Those are the things that let you feel, that let you experience some of that joy that gets robbed when there's grief. David, who had experienced more, more loss and grief than I will in my whole lifetime, still commands uh, on the occasion of the day for a building that he'll never see opened, to sing praise to God. We can sing praise to God because um, there, there we will experience his, God's anger for a minute, and we may experience sorrow for a minute, but joy comes in the morning. That's a beautiful picture, by the way, that there's joy around every. Sunrise. I taught a science school class today because uh, we our, our teacher was out of town and our backup teacher was gravely ill. Gravely, as in, uh, I got a text this morning. and said, "I spent all night on the throne." That was the exact text that I received. That <laughs> said, okay, I can fill in, right? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so you know, so I filled in uh, in a science school class. And part of what we talked about in the science school class was this concept of new days, right? And, and it's a beautiful thing that we get an opportunity to have a new day. There, there's, there's something fresh about the sunrise. It brings us to the idea that, you know what, what, what happened yesterday can be fully behind us. We can look forward to something new today. And that's, that's how God's joy is. While we experience sorrow for a season, joy is just around the corner. Joy after sorrow isn't the same, by the way. I don't want y'all to think that it is. If you've experienced great loss and great grief, it's not the same, right? Yeah, I was talking to Carolyn Venton, who's our secretary here. She said she, she's, she lost her husband and her sister. She had a really rough six-month period about a year and a half ago uh, last summer, really a rough season in her life. And we, we talk about grief at, at different times as we, we walk through things with her. And, you know, she, she said, you know, I'll never be who I was before, but that's okay. And coming to that point where you can recognize that we're, we're changed. We're changed by loss. We're changed by grief. You don't have to pretend like, like we don't have loss and grief and that there aren't things missing from our lives. But, you know, when, when we have things taken from us, when we experience loss, that, that's more places for God to fill. That there's more places for God to fill with His joy. It's not just put a happy face on it, it's allow God to come and fill. One of the ways we do that, though, is we speak faithfully about what God has done. The good things that God has done. Because God has been good to you, church. Let's pick up in verse, uh, verse 6. It says, As for me... I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O oh Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O oh Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O oh Lord, and be merciful to me. O oh Lord, be my helper david speaks about his self-confidence this is an issue that we have as a people is sometimes we we have to acknowledge the fact that we are the cause of some of the sorrows that we've experienced right some of the sorrows that we've experienced are because we set ourselves up as mountains that cannot be moved david was a very powerful person at different seasons in his life and when he was doing well he became very arrogant in himself and he said nothing can come against me i'm david I'm the king, and it's good to be king. Nothing can come against me. And when God favored David, that was true. But as soon as God moved his favor off David, David says, you hid your face, and I was dismayed. Right. And when God hides his face from those of us who have lived a, a life that's been blessed, we experience great, great hurt. David experienced this great hurt because of his pride, because of his arrogance. You think of the story of David and Bathsheba, right, where he he goes and he takes one of his general's wives and he has a baby with her and then he gets the general killed. David did all that because of his own sort of sense of elevated arrogance and who he was. I see it. I want it. It's mine. I'll take it. Those were David's choices. Those choices led to the, the death of one of his good generals. It led to the death of a baby, it led to um, really the rest of David's life being in turmoil in his family. I mean, every time you read about David's family from that point forward, his his family is in chaos because he chose in his power to do his things his way. Sometimes we have to acknowledge that some of the reasons that we experience sorrow, some of the sorrows that we have are sorrows of our own creation. Right? Maybe you have broken relationships. Maybe you have broken uh, I think about family relationships, really. It hurts my heart sometimes to hear about broken family relationships, and I hear them way too often. You know, the, my, my my dad said this to me when I was 21 years old, and I haven't spoken to him since, and here I am burying that daddy, you know, 40, 50 years later. 40, 50 years where nothing was fixed of the problems that were there. A lot of times our sorrow is our own. But really, we just need to recognize that sorrow is real. Acknowledge your sorrow. Acknowledge that you're hurting. Acknowledge where you have blame. And then acknowledge where, where maybe it's just the way life is. Life is broken. Loved ones pass away. And there's no, like, there's no easy answer to that other than just to acknowledge that that's the way this world is set up since sin has come into this thing and broken it. We have to come to grips with the fact that that is real so we acknowledge that it's real and we acknowledge that we experience those things. Hiding that you hurt, hiding that, that, that you've been hurt, hiding that you have grief is not healthy for who you are as a person, right? As men, we like to do that. We like to hide our emotions. We like to bury them underneath uh, thick calluses that we put up over ourselves. It's not healthy. Men, if you're a woman in there who's geared to do that as well, it's not healthy for you to live that way. Allow yourself to feel. Allow yourself to be honest with what goes on and acknowledge what goes on, but don't lose sight of the fact that God's been good to you before that. And God's going to be good to you after that. As we finish up, it written down in verse 11, it says, "You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks. To you, forever. Yeah. So, so David starts by saying, "Look, uh, recognize what God has done and speak about it. Tell people about it." And then he goes in the middle and he says, "Look, acknowledge that you have hurt, you have pain. Some of it's self caused, some of it maybe from other reasons. But you've experienced great grief. And that, that 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 is a real part of what you've gone through and where your life." has taken you, and then on the back end, we go back to recognizing that God has always been faithful, and then because God's been faithful, we look forward to Him continuing to be faithful. I, I love that, right? He says, he says look, uh, oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Forever doesn't stop, right? Forever isn't a temporary situation where, like, I'm going to be thankful because it's the Thanksgiving season. I'm going to be thankful because it's the Christmas season. I'm going to be thankful because I received this good gift. No, thankfulness in this situation is a forever state. It's an active state that you choose to live in. And David says, look, I will be thankful not for, for the rest of my life. I'll be thankful forever because, God, you restored me. God, you brought gladness back to my heart that I didn't think gladness could come back to. God, you have been good to me, and I'll be thankful to you forever. We come to Christmas time and we think about what it was that brings joy to the world. That's probably one of my favorite songs. I know Elaine Simpson likes the song Joy of the World. Uh, She says it's not just a Christmas song. We only sing it at Christmas time, it's probably shoved in the Christmas section in the book but there's nothing in there that makes it a christmas only song because christ came and joy entered the world real joy lasting joy joy that, that that is unspeakable came into the world and it was snuffed out that joy was snuffed out on calvary taken away from the world, and we await again the return of that one who brings joy to the world again. Advent is a season of remembering the coming of Christ initially, but also the second coming of Christ as promised. Because you know what I love about the picture of revelation that God gives us about heaven and the new earth are going to be set up? Is, is, is God is there tending to us. Like, like We give God glory and praise and honor, and then God tends to us, right, right, where, where, where there will be no tears and no sorrow and no crying, because God will draw near to you. Then, that is a beautiful picture of a promise of the joy that God will give us, where we won't experience grief and sorrow we won't have to constantly be in and out of joy and sadness and depression and anxiety those things will be washed away because God himself will be with you it's the picture Jesus gives of himself when he comes the first time right emmanuel god with us jesus came near to us through the incarnation to give us hope and joy that lasts this life and a promise for joy that will last for all time and the way we achieve that is by coming to Jesus in faith we cry out to Jesus in, in faith and we say God I'm broken and I don't understand why but I want you to take care of me we cry out to him in faith for our forgiveness of sins we cry out to him in faith for the brokenness in our lives and God is good to meet our needs where he's at. So my prayer for you today and my prayer for you this Christmas season, if you're walking through, through valleys of sorrow, is for you to speak about the things that God has done that's good. A lot of that, if you're dealing with the, the most natural of sorrow, the loss of a loved one, the loss of someone who matters to you, is to speak about that person. Why do they matter to you? Right? God gave that person to you as a good gift. Every good gift is, is, is from God, as Scripture tells us. If you have a, a, a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or a sister or a brother, whoever it is, who you've experienced the loss of, right, right, that was a good gift for you. And you probably have thousands of ways you can praise God for what He gave you in that person thousands of memories you can go back and say god how good you were to let my my sister be a part of my life in this way how good you were to let my father be a part of my life in this way how good you were to let my my grandfather my grandmother my mother be a part of my life in this way and as you speak about those things as you gather together as a family and you share those memories and recollections all of a sudden sorrow is replaced with thankfulness because you are so fortunate To have someone worthy of grieving over. How great is that? That God gave you someone so wonderful in your life. That when they're removed, you recognize sorrow for what it is. So we speak positively about those things because God gives good gifts. And we trust that God will fill us with joy. Because God desires to take your sorrow and to give you joy. He desires to take your hurt and your pain and the things that have overwhelmed you and to replace it with joy. You'll never be the same after grief comes into your life. But you can be better on the other side too. You can be better. Let me pray.